morning, church. It's good to be together. Um, enter God's presence together. Be reminded of who's in control and everything that's true about him. Um, to escape into reality for an hour once a week and just be reminded of God's goodness, God's sovereignty. I want to welcome you into Next Community Church, especially if you're a guest, if you're a visitor. My name is Joe, one of the pastors here, and extend a warm welcome to you. Thankful that you're here, uh, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. We're, we're glad that you're here. We're in the middle of a series called Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World. Really, we're coming down the home stretch, chapter 5. Uh, there's five chapters in the book of First Thessalonians, and we're in the second half of chapter 5. So we've got a couple of weeks left, and Paul makes a transition. The last three weeks, we were talking about um, how things are going to end. What is God's timeline for uh, how he's going to uh, bring things to conclusion? And, and Paul then makes a switch, and he switches from talking about the end to now talking about how we should live in light of the end. And he gives very specific instructions to the church family. And that's how the, that's how the book ends. It's, he's, he's talking to the family. He uses the word brothers and sisters five times in like the last eight verses. And, and, uh, and it's interesting, this, this word, it's one word, uh, Adelphos, it's where we get Philadelphia, brotherly. Um, it's the idea for, for brothers, but in the context, most of the time it's talking about family of God, brothers and sisters. And, and it's the word, Paul uses it 60 times in the New Testament. He uses it 27 times in First and Second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, five chapters. Second Thessalonians, three chapters. In eight little chapters, he uses it 27 of his six, almost half of the amount of times he uses the word. He uses it for this little new church. And I think it's, I think it's because the church was so young. It was like a, a three and a half week old church before Paul got ran out of town. And he's, he's really wanting them to understand your family. And, and as we go through, it's important. And I think this has been one of the great, um, uh, tragedies of, of the American church is that somewhere along the line, church moved from, from something you are to something that you attend. And the mindset is totally different when you think that church is something that you go to, like, like well, we're going to the Phillies game this afternoon. Oh, we're going to church this morning. It's, it's, it's not something that you attend. It's something that you are. Um, it'd be like if you went to the Phillies game, but then they call you down on the field, and it's like you, you're, you're playing. You're in, right? That's, that's the mentality of what it means to be the church. And so Paul's going to talk about this special relationship and how we should treat each other in the church. And when I'll just say this. When the church does what the father has designed for the kids to do, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. It's the most beautiful living organization in the world, this thing called the local church. When the kids listen to dad and play by the house rules that dad has laid out for us and how to live. And that's what he's going to talk about today. He gives a lot of house rules. He ends the chapter with a lot of, if you if you read it, it's a lot of rapid fire commands. There's six this week. There's eight next week. Just do this. Make sure this. Don't do this. And so, and so there, no, more, um, no more prophetic words. No more apocalyptic mysteries for us to unveil and try and figure out. No more timelines up on the board. It's just commands. It's just instructions to the church on how to be the church. 
And so that's where we're at today. He starts off a little slow. Um, he starts off with a cu- the first couple verses with a, a command to the sheep. It's, it, it's interesting. In regards to the shepherds of the church, I want you to listen carefully to this beginning part particularly, all right? And so, uh, and, th- and then, because it talks about the, the relationship of how the church should be, and then he moves on, and then, and then later talks about how the brothers and sisters should treat each other. So let's, let's start. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, To give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. And to regard them very highly in love because of their work. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. Right? Be at peace. So let's... Let's enjoy this journey together that we're on as a family. Like, let's, let's enjoy these relationships. Let's live in peace together. And if we're going to do that, he says, here's, here's the unique relationship, the dynamic between the shepherds and the sheep and, and how this thing should, should play out and what it should look like. And he gives some very um, specific advice on how to treat the shepherds. And there's a couple of things that I, I want you to notice about this that I want to just highlight in here. And so we're going to try something new here. We're going to got the whiteboard out. And so I want to try and, and, and annotate on it. And there's, there's some words. You can go to the next slide if you would. There's some things I want you to notice. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. And that is this. I want you to notice all of the plurals that were in this verse. Let me read it. Let me read it again for you. It says this, we ask you, brothers and sisters, give give recognition to those, plural, who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and regard them, not, not him, them, plural, very highly in love because of their work, right? And so the first thing that you see, and this is really, really important, is that It has always been, from the very beginning, since the church was born in the book of Acts, and then throughout the New Testament, there has always been a plurality of leadership. That has always been God's design and God's model and God's instruction. You read through 1 Timothy and Titus where it gives qualification of leaders. And it's, it's assumed and it's always written that they are as a plurality of leadership. And somewhere along the line, we've shifted again in the church where there's been one person that was knighted like sole pastor over this whole thing and 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 it's a, it's a it's a dangerous thing because what can end up happening is you have one person with too much power too much authority too much treated like a king and this is his kingdom, and you're the subjects of the kingdom, and, and the king always kind of gets his way, and the king has too much power. And, and, and again, if you're following kind of what's happened in, in a lot of, um, not a lot of, but in enough that it's, it's, it's always in the news of, of pastors that have fallen because they've got too much power, too much authority. Uh, and, and the New Testament really knows nothing about this solo leader mentality. It's always been... A, a, a team-based thing, that there is shepherds, elders that lead the New Testament church, which was why it was so important to me when we became next a year and a month ago that, that we said, we're gonna, this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow the New Testament. So this isn't Joe's church. This is, we're going to be led by elders. 
And, and so we are. We are an, an elder-led church and just try to follow as closely the scripture as to what it says. And, and I want you to know this. Like, I want you to know who the elders are. We're going to get all their pictures taken. We're putting them up on the website so you can kind of see. So it's not like this mystery group of guys that just meet once in a while. I want you to know that we meet every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. And I didn't pick that time. Okay, this is uh, every Wednesday morning, 6 a.m., we meet, these guys meet um, because they love you and they're serving you and they're praying for you. And we're standing in the gap between God and the flock that God has entrusted to our care and saying, God, what are you doing and what do you want us to do? And take the mantle of shepherding and leadership very, very serious. We have some, some very committed um, individuals that love you and are praying for you. We have an amazing staff team that, that run the day-to-day operations of, of the church. There's a plurality of leadership here. Um, we're, we're blessed with an amazing youth pastor. We're blessed with Michael Bella, who's serving as our children's director. Right? We're, we're blessed with Roush and leading our small groups. Santiso leading worship with Deb, who does everything else. Right? And so we're just, we're just, we're just blessed. And, and God is, um, I think, honoring our desire to honor his word and have a plurality of leadership. A little side note, we've been praying for this for the last three, four months. I wanted to kind of give you an update. Um, thank you for praying. We've been praying for our children's ministry and for uh, who's going to be the next ministry leader that's going to take over our children's ministry for, for Mike, who's needing to transition out. And so we've been praying. We actually hired a search group, and they've come, and they found somebody who I'm so excited to introduce to you. She'll be here in about a month with her family. She's coming all the way from Idaho uh, outside. I want to introduce you to Trisha. Trisha, her husband. Oh, let me get rid of my my doodles here. Um, Trisha and Samuel and their little guy, Joshua, they call Raj or Raju. Um, uh, we just hired them a week and a half ago to lead our children's ministry. And, and it's, it's, I feel like God has given us another gift and someone who loves the Lord, who loves kids, has been a teacher the last six years and, and just loves Jesus and wants to t- tell the next generation about Jesus and super creative, super organization uh, skills. And so um, they're going to be here. Pray for them. They're trying to find a place to live. Not too easy right now. They're trying to get quotes to move from Boise, Idaho to here. It's crazy right now. So pray for them as they come. All, all of this to say, this is, this is not Joe's church. And one of the things that Paul says is, listen, sheep, I want you to know there's a plurality. Go ahead back to that slide if you'd be so kind. Um, there's a plurality of leadership. <coughs> um, the one with all the plural uh, nouns or pronouns on there. There we go. Those words, whatever they are. English teachers, you can correct me later. Those words, there's a plurality in leadership. And, um, and, and so the relationship between the sheep and the, and the leaders of the church is really, really important. Paul says you want to live at peace with one another. Um, and he gives some, some very specific words, right? Our job description, our job description is in here. Did you notice the words? Uh, those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you regarding the very highly loved because of their work, right? These, these, all these words have great significance and, and great meaning. Labor, <coughs> this word labor means to, uh, let me look it up here again, to exert energy to the point of weariness or fatigue. That's, 
that's ministry, and, and, and I'll raise my hand and say, I, I agree with that. that that's, that's, that's a good picture of what it is in ministry. That is, nobody here is coasting, right? None of, none of our staff is just kind of just getting by. I promise you, none of us went into it for the, the great money, right? That's certainly not the case. And so we're not trying to climb a ladder, achieve success, or, right? It is, it is a labor of love. It is something that in our heart, we know that God has called us to. And therefore, it is, it is labor. Um, I, I remember this summer, it was, it's actually right around this time, in 1990, the summer between my junior year and senior year, trying to figure out what you're going to do, what school you want to go to, trying to make those life decisions about what you want to be when you grow up and what do you want to major in, figure all that out at like 18, right? And, um, and we were at a summer camp. And this is why I always tell you, parents, get your kids to camp. Get your kids to summer camp. Because God, there's something about just retreating from everyday life and going away with everyone. And God just speaks to kids at camp. And so I was away at camp. And I remember um, the speaker who was talking. Um, and he, I don't remember, to be honest with you, to this day exactly what he said. But I know at the very end, he said, some of you are trying to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. And that got my attention. And he said something to the effect of, I'm here to tell you there is no greater thing that you can do than have God tap you on the shoulder and say, I want you to serve me every day for the rest of your life. And in my heart of hearts, I knew God's spirit just spoke to my spirit and said, that's for you. This is what I have for you. I'm tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I'm calling you unto shepherding. And so in a room of about 300 high school kids from all around the tri-state area, he said, here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to end. And he had all these little rocks spread out on the stage up on the platform. And he said, we're going to do the opposite of what we always do. And so I want every head up, and I want every eye open. And in front of your peers, if you know that God is calling you into ministry, I want you to stand up where you're at, and I want you to walk forward in front of your peers and tell the Lord yes. And you come up here, and I want you to pick up that rock. And I knew that God was calling me. So about 30 of us in the room of 300 stood up, walked down front, and we bent down and picked up and picked up this, this little rock, this little rock that I've held on to now for 32 years as a reminder to me of my job unto the Lord, that it is, it is a calling. Um, it is something that I will stand before the Lord, and we as elders will stand before the Lord and give an account for how we shepherded the flock and how we led. It's something that we take real serious. And so these words of laboring and leading and admonishing, working, are things that we take serious. To, to admonish means to instruct, to correct, or to warn. To admonish. I feel like that's, that's part of my job every Sunday morning is to come and to hope lovingly admonish you. One of the things that was taught to me early on in ministry was this, is that every Sunday morning your job as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And, and that's one thing that I try to make sure that I do lovingly with you. That if you're here and life has just beat you up, that when you, we open up God's word together, that you find truth and a source of hope and encouragement and comfort to know God is good and God loves you and he's in control. And if you're here and you're a Christian and you're just kind of coasting, then there's a little bit of where every week I want to just give you a little butt kick and say, come on, let's go. That's why we call our church next. It's like we're all on this journey and we want to take next steps with the Lord. 
And so there's a part of me where every week I think of the Stooges where they just give the little eye poke and it's like, come doink, right? And where it's like, for some of you, I just want to doink. Like, come on, let's go. I want to admonish you and encourage you. Let's go. Let's keep moving. Let's not coast. Let's not coast to the finish line. Let's not set our spiritual lives on cruise control and kind of just, so that's, you say, why? Why do I do that? Because because that's what this word means. That's what we're called to do. It's not like, oh, that's just Joe's style. No, it's not. This is like what God tells us to do. And so this is, all of this, right, is something that we take really, really serious. And so Paul goes on in verse 14. Let me clear the screen here. We can put up 14. Paul goes on 14 and he says this. We exhort you, brothers and sisters... Right, talking to the family. Hey, family, here's what Paul says. And he's going to give four little short commands. Warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Here's dad giving the family rules of how we are supposed to live, brothers and sisters, as a family. Four quick, short commands. Let's, let's look at each one. All right? First thing he says is, is to warn those who are idle. Right? To warn those who are idle. So let me talk, talk about this word idle. There's so much, and this is why I wanted to annotate on the board this morning, because there's so much um, richness in the original language behind all these words. Like this word for idle. This word for idle was used in the classical Greek of a soldier who would not fall in line with the rest of the troop. And, and so rank and file, he was out of it. And so he just, he just wanted to do his own thing. He would march to the beat, not of the drum of everybody else. He would march to the beat of his own drum. He was a troublemaker, stubborn, stirred the pot. Just kind of wanted to always kind of do their own thing. Didn't want to be part of kind of going along with the family or the family rules. Or in this case, it was a soldier in line with the troops. And, and Paul says, okay, you got to warn those guys. Like, listen. And unity is something that we take real, real serious here. That, that, that you know, just always kind of having to create trouble and issues and, and kind of asking questions that you really don't, really want to be a part of the solution or know why. It's more about just kind of stirring the pot. You, you know those. Not that you guys or any of you are that, but you know those, those kind of people. And Paul says this to warn them because the unity of the family is super, super important. To warn those who are idle, troublemakers in the church, right? What I have found in, in my years now of doing ministry is that in the church, with those that are so in and committed and busy serving and helping and contributing and like fighting back the, the gates of darkness and like engaged in the war and, and making a difference and like is that they don't even have time to do this troublemaking pot stirring beat kind of stuff like they're just in it's kind of the mindset of like those that are in the canoe rowing rowing the boat never have time to rock the boat they're just straight ahead and always about the mission and where we're going it's like they don't they don't have time to kind of sidetrack with these silly things and Paul's instruction is to warn those warn those who are kind of rocking the boat that's instruction number one. Instruction number two, he says, comfort the discouraged. Comfort the discouraged. So this word for comfort is really, really interesting. Um, it's a combination of two Greek words. 
The first Greek word is the word para, which Jesus called the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Paraclete. Para simply means to come alongside. And, and from the Holy Spirit, paraclete, clete is from the verb kaleo, to call. So the Holy Spirit is the one called alongside. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to give you the paraclete, the one called alongside. This word is the word para, right? The same thing, alongside. And then the word, this is how it translates into English. This isn't how you would spell it in Greek. Muthos. Muthos. It's where we get our word myth from. A tale, a story, to talk. And so here's what this word comfort means, to come alongside and to tell, to speak, to bring, to bring comfort to the discouraged, to come along. There's got to be a coming alongside. This is, why, this, is why, this is why church can't be a thing you do for an hour on Sunday that you attend. There's no way we can live these things out in here. It does not happen in here. And so if in here is your only experience with church, it does, this doesn't, this doesn't, there's no, it doesn't work. That, that's why, because when the Bible was written, they knew nothing of a building on a Sunday for an hour to come sit. Like, this was not the picture of, of church. It was, it was an integrated relationship. We did life together. We lived together. And so here's the encouragement now is to paramuthos, to come alongside and to speak to those that are discouraged, right? Um, discouraged is a, a rich word that is, it's, it was hard to translate. It simply means this, those that are faint-hearted. If you flip it around, those whose hearts are about to faint, the discouraged, they lost hope, they're struggling, they've been overcome by the issues of life, right? They're just beat up, and their hearts are ready to just give up. And Paul's instruction to the church is to, is to come alongside and to bring comfort to those. And so how do you, how do you, how do, you do that here? Right? How do you? You've got to be in relationship. Again, this is this is why we're so always, always, always fanatical about community groups, because we need to live as a family. We, I know, there's times in my life where I need this. I need power, muthos, because I'm here. Right? I, I, I need that. But if if I've built a relational wall around me, and I've made my schedule so busy with doing other things that I never have time to do family things. And then life hits, and then we just feel like I'm just floating at sea all by myself in the, in the sea of struggles and difficulty. And it's like, where's the family? Where's the family? And it's like, well, you've, you've isolated yourself from the family. And that's why you've got to take that step into being part of the family so that we can do family things together and so that we can come alongside you and, and do that. Put, put courage back into you. That's what it means to, to, to those that are discouraged to come and to put courage back into the discouraged, to revive their hearts, let them know they're not alone. Come alongside them. And then related to that, let me get rid of all this, Paul comes and says the next thing is to help the weak. Help the weak. The idea, most commentators agree that the word for weak here. This word for weak had to do mostly with those that are spiritually weak. This idea 
The idea in Scripture, the, the, the illustration that's used in Scripture, is that when you come to know Jesus and believe in Jesus, you start a new life. Jesus comes into your life, makes you spiritually alive to God, and that you're born again. And just like when you're born a first time, you're born a baby. When you're born again, you're born a spiritual baby. This is the language of the Bible. You're a spiritual infant, and you need to grow, and you need to uh, uh, learn and develop. And it takes, listen, spiritual mothers and fathers to come alongside spiritual babies to help them grow. That's, just, that's the way it is in real life, and that's the way it is in the spiritual life. It has nothing, by the way, to do with age. You can be 55 years old and be a spiritual baby. You just came to know Jesus last Christmas, and you're eight months old in the Lord. And so you're a 55-year-old individual, but you're an eight-month-old Christian, you're a spiritual baby. You need others. You can have a 30-year-old who's been walking with Jesus their whole life come along and help you understand the Bible and how to pray and how to understand these things. How do you even study the Bible and read all these things? And that is why, friends, three months ago, it wasn't like we didn't know what to do with our hallway. You're like, well, let's just put some bookshelves out there and throw some books on it. That's why we put out here this discipleship library, we called it. If you recall, um, our, for years in the past, we tried to make this, this is what discipleship is, coming alongside, helping one another grow. We, we had a bunch of classes, and we had a lot of books, and it was like very 101, 201, 301, 401, and we, wanted, we called it the journey, and come along journey, and, and, it, and on paper, it made a lot of sense. It was like, yeah, you're going to do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. The problem is, none of us live life on paper. Life happens, and it's, it's like this, and it never worked out the way it looked. And so we thought, how can we make this idea of helping one another grow really, really easy and simple? And so we took 28 different categories of, of all the arenas of the Christian life, put out recommended resources that we think these, are, these have been read, tried, true, tested. They're, it's good stuff, right? It's, they're not the Bible, so it, it, there could be something in there. You're like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. That's okay, right? It's not the Word of God. They're, they're, so they're 99% good. Um, but these are things that we trust. And then said, listen, get together. Like, we want to take our hands off the steering wheel and say, all right, Go. Find somebody, somebody that in your group, get together and say, and I've heard a couple, I've heard a couple of this happening, but to be honest with you, I haven't heard a lot, which is why I thought it'd be a good, a good idea to remind you again as we're wrapping up summer here in the next few weeks and looking to the fall, maybe that's a step that you want to take is to engage and say, let's, let's go out, let's look at the categories, what topics interest you. Hey, why don't we read this book together? Let's get together once a week. Let's grab a coffee. Let's, discuss, let's do life on life and discuss this, right? And so, that, again, it's being a family together so that you can help the weak, this, it, spiritually weak. There is a range of meaning. Most believe that this probably meant spiritually weak, but it could mean emotionally weak. It could mean physically weak. It could mean those that are just, they're just, life has beat them up right now. And so it's interesting, this word for help I'm telling you, the language here is so rich. This word for help means to take hold of, to prop up. That's what the word for help means. It means you come alongside, and you're going to put your arm underneath them, and you're like, I ain't letting you fall. I'm going to walk with you. You're not strong enough on your own right now, so I'm going to be here with you. 
Some of you know exactly what this is because you've had it done for you in a moment of weakness when you're down. Your family's been down. You've been down. Whatever the situation is, your, your job, your relationships, your health, you've been down. And you've seen people come alongside and do this word for help to take hold of, to come alongside and to prop up. And that's the call, again, of the church to be the church. And again, how, how would you do that here on Sunday morning? You wouldn't. And so, again, it's, it's, it's another reason to live in community together. And then this last, this last command, oh, this is the doozy, to be patient. Why do you have to put this part in, Paul? With everyone. How about just be patient? That would have been sufficient. But no, be patient with everyone. I looked up everyone. You want to guess what it means? It just means those that you really like. That's, that's what, no, it does not. It means everyone. It means everyone. Be patient with everyone. This is such a difficult one. We want to be patient. We got to be patient. I mean, we want people to be patient with us. Like, I, I want you to be patient with me. I know I'm not perfect. And so when I mess, I want to be patient. But why, why is it so hard to turn around and to be Patient with others, right? You, you, you know how God teaches you patience, right? He picks you up and he puts you in a situation where you got to be patient. That's, that's the only way to learn patience, right? God doesn't like supernaturally look down like, oh, there's Joe. He's wanting patience. Let me just zing. Let me just give him patience. Okay, now I got patience. It's not how it happens. It's like, hey, okay, you want to work on patience? Let me put you in the patience gym. And we're going to go over here and I'm going to stretch you to learn to have patience. The only way you grow in patience is to be in situations that require patience so that you can develop that attitude, that disposition. Easier said than done, right? How do, you, how do we do this, right? Because I, I, I don't know about you. Let me give you a, a couple tips, I think, to understand patience. The first is this. Be aware that typically we lose patience the most with those that we're the closest to. Those that we're comfortable with, those that we're with all the time, those that are most cherished in our heart, those that we love deeply, it's usually our family members, those that are closest to us, is the ones that we show lack of patience with. So be be aware of that. Number two is, is be aware of like what, what sets you off. What, what triggers you? The word for patience is literally the word for long fused. That's the word for patience. Long fused. Some of you are like, yeah, my fuse was burned up years ago. I got a fuse and it's this big, right? And it's always crackling and sizzling. And all it takes is a little, little thing to have you pop, a little thing to set you off. Along with what, be aware of what, what is it that sets you off, right? What triggers you and kind of makes you lose patience so that you can kind of go into life and the days knowing when you see a situation like I just wrote down a couple things of mine this is what what triggers me and what sets me off it's like if I have to tell the same person the same thing over and over and over again I lose patience of that of uh, incompetence like when somebody um it seems like it happens all the time now out there with the worker shortage and all this it's incompetence and my 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 
bleeding heart daughters, like, Dad, you got to be more patient. You got to be kind to people. I'm just like, they just got to do their job, right? And so uh, we were down the shore last Friday, and um, I lost my patience. And we, we were at a restaurant, and uh, we decided, uh, it was five of us, we were down there, and, and Cole's girlfriend was with us. And so uh, we all got, we were going to get waters, right? We just, we're going to get waters, or we're going to get waters, right? And so you ever make that family decision, it's going to like save you like 20 bucks, we're going to get waters. And so we're going to get waters. And so, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and so, remember, none of us went into ministry to get rich. Sometimes you got to drink water, and it's good for you, and we just say it's good for you, drink water, but really I don't want to buy you a $4 soda. And so the waitress comes, and she plops down five water bottles, I'm like, oh, man. This. And so then an hour later, she brings the bill. And I look at the bill. And they were $4.50 per water bottle for five of us. And let's just say at that moment, I was not long-fused, right? I, it's like, and I just got, and it wasn't so much even at this point, it wasn't even so much about spending $4.50 for a 14-cent bottle of water. That wasn't necessarily the issue. It was the fact that, Oh, and, 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 and I said, she should have told us, right? She should have. It was just all you had to do is when you order water, say, well, actually, we bring water bottles, right? And she should, should have told us. And like, so it's like, man, just, just do the right thing. Just handle, just handle the situation. Right. So that's my stuff, right? So I got to be aware of when I get, what's, what's your thing? What is your thing that, that you know that you're not long fused in? And it just, it just kind of doesn't take much to set off that fuse. Be patient with everyone. And then Paul gives the final two commands that we'll wrap up with here. The final two, and here's what he says. They don't get any easier, by the way. He says, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Two more final family instructions. Here's the first. Let's talk about this one. Do not repay evil for evil. Jesus said that, right? Here's the interesting thing. That's, but that's, that's not only what the verse says right here, is it? What does the verse say? Class. What does it say? It says, see to it that no one. So it's not telling you, it's a given. Jesus said this. It's a given not to repay evil for evil. I mean, that's our human nature to want to strike back, right? You give me silent treatment, I'll give you silent treatment. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, right? That's, that's instinct. Jesus said that years ago. No, 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 no. Do not repay evil for evil. Now Paul is telling the church family, he's actually putting, this is not a command to the pastors, this is a command to the brothers and the sisters. He's saying, you all need to see to it that one another don't do this. In other words, there's a, a responsibility that happens within a church family to be so involved in one another's lives that there's the ability to know what's going on and that you have the freedom because you're such in relationship to say, hey, can, can, can I talk to you about the way that you just talk to so-and-so, or, or, or that you know that they've been hurt, you know that they've been wounded, and you know they're going through the revenge game plan in their mind, and that you lovingly call them out and say, listen, can I talk to you about the, 
the, the path that you're thinking of going down or the thing that you're holding on to from 10 years ago that still drives you today to kind of just be the way that you are, right? that you're living in close enough relationship that you know that with them and that you have the ability to help them with that. This is the command. The command is not don't repay evil for evil. The command is see to it that no one does that. Church, live this out together. In love and gently, Jesus said, you got to be careful about the way you do this before you go up and you get the, the speck out of your brother's eye. Make sure you don't have the log in your own eye. But yet at the same time, the Apostle Paul talks about, and this is the whole thing with today, well, you've got to not judge, you've got to not judge. Gotta... Paul tells the church, yeah, no, no, we are to judge one another. We are to, as a family, before you see someone who's driving the car of their life about to go off the cliff, you're making a judgment. You're going the wrong way, and you're about to hurt yourself and your family. I'm stepping in and telling you, bro, you got to stop. That's, that's a loving judgment out of love, not out of condemnation, not out of sitting in your high chair and looking down, out of love engaging into someone else's life. That's, this is what Paul says to do for anyone. Make sure... That we do this together. And then he says, and this is tricky, always pursue what is good for one another. Always pursue what is good for one another. Pursue. Pursue means to to go after, to chase, to initiate. And so what would it look like for us as a church to think less about pursuing what is good for me? And what would it look like for you to pursue what is good for one another in the church and for all, for the world, for your neighbor, for your coworker, for the community? And not just when you feel like it, when? Oh, here he is. He put it in here again. Always pursue. So in other words, the, the cruise control of your life should be permanently shifted in pursuing what is good for others. Always. Set. And that now becomes the driving force of your life. That I'm going to try to pursue, chase after, initiate, figure out what is good for others, one another, and for all. Always, Paul says. What does that look like? I'm going to have the worship team come, and I'm going to let God tell you what that looks like, because I don't know what that looks like for you. I just know God says this is what we're supposed to do. Lots of Simple little commands. Maybe some of you are like, can we go back to the end time stuff again? That was, that was easier. That's just, we just wait for the. Paul says, all right, now this is how we live, family. This is how we live. Listen, when the family lives like the way the family is supposed to live, according to the way dad told us to live, it is the most beautiful living organization in the world, the local church, the family of God. When we ignore dad's instructions and we do what instinctively comes up. And so this is, this is the, what I found the challenge with this passage is just about every single one of these commands is against my natural instinct. 
my natural instinct is to almost do the opposite of all these things, which is why there's no way you can just do this on your own. There's no way you can be like, all right, I'll do that. I'm going to do that. The only way that you're going to live this holy life is if you learn to be with the Holy Spirit who God gave to you to help you be holy and to live according to his holy word. And so here's what I want to do. As we close, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the commands again. I'm going to go through the command and I'm going to pause for like 15 seconds. And I want, to, I want you to have a 15-second conversation. I want you to really dial in here. I want you to really dial in and, and believe that God has something he wants to say to you. So even right now, I just want you to get in an attitude of prayer. I said, God, I, I want to hear from you. I don't want to stay the same. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be who you want me to be. And I'm going to just go through those commands real quick. I'm going to say one. I'm going to be quiet. And after each command, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say to God, what do you want me to do with this one? And just listen. And see if God doesn't bring something to your heart, something to your mind, impress some action step to you. Here's the first one. Warn those who are idle. Idle meaning disorderly, troublemaker, stirring the pot, not getting in line with everybody else. And so I want you to ask God, anything you want to say to me about this one? Comfort the discouraged. Coming alongside, speaking courage to somebody, those that are faint-hearted, whose heart is about to faint. God, what do you want to say to me about this one? Who do you want me to comfort? Help the weak. Help the weak. Help to put your hands on them, to prop them up, to not let them fall. God, what do you want to say to me about this one? Who do you want me to help? Be patient with everyone. God, what do you want to say to me about my patience? Don't repay evil for evil. See to it that no one repays evil for evil. 
pursue what is good for one another and all. Always pursue what is good for one another and all. Father, I recognize there's no way I can do this on my own. This goes so against what my natural instinct is. And so I want, I want to, Father, I believe everyone here wants to honor you, follow you, obey you. God, our, our flesh is so strong. So I pray that we would, even right now, that we would yield to the Holy Spirit church, Stephen, right now in your own words, would you just invite, say, Holy Spirit, just come and fill me up. Empty me of me. I got too much of me in here. I need more of you in here, God. Holy Spirit, come. Fill me up that you might control me and help me and guide me and strengthen me and lead me. Thank you, Father, for a beautiful picture of what the family should look like. And I pray for next that we would be that kind of family. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's close in worship.